Welcome to the Podcast of Ideas. The recording you're about to hear is from the Academy of Ideas Book Club, which discussed Normal People by Sally Rooney on Tuesday the 11th of June. In the chair is Jeff Kidder. Yeah, thanks Jeff. What I'm really going to do tonight is just an initial provocation um, with one or two thoughts because I really think there's so much in this book despite the fact that uh, it has been criticized by some as being kind of lightweight um, and some people have said that they have read it and then you know felt very intensely about it and forgotten about it and I that initially was my experience Um, but going back and reading it actually for the third time now for this book club um, I just think there's it's it's really as Jeff says a book that says a lot about the current moment um, and also um, one that I mean Sally Rooney is someone who obviously knows a huge amount about literature um, and so I wanted to start off by basically drawing attention to the fact that she is like many authors um, borrowing from and leaning on a huge amount of tradition here I mean you can read this book Normal People as a buildings roman um, or a Kunstler roman, actually, because they're both literature students, in the way in which it tracks that very intense and important uh, part of a young person's life, the transition from late teenage years to early adulthood in um, in their university lives. And that that sort of period being politically at the moment, something that's incredibly interesting and something that Sally Rooney is clearly interested in, in terms of the way in which there's such a huge focus on the inner lives of young people and what's going on in their heads and their mental health and all of that's playing here and I think gives a kind of she gives a very uh, modern take on a very old standing um, literary tradition Um, and of course that intense period of life she specifically hones in on um, very well in the transit that transition from your childhood life to your adult life and how wrenching that can be um, I'm going to uh, read like lines here and there from the book but it just in by way of sort of looking at that dislocation that she explores especially with Connell in moving from the small town he's from in the countryside of Ireland um, to the big city of Dublin and after the move feeling neither at home in um, Caracalee nor at home in Trinity uh, is something that I think resonates would resonate with a lot of us in terms of that you know you you feeling sort of isolated and alienated you know when he's talking about going to university he says it's, it says lately he's consumed by a sense that he is in fact two separate people and soon he will have to choose which person to be on a full-time basis and leave the other person behind but actually the old Connell the one who all his friends know that person would be dead in a way or worse buried alive screaming under the earth so that kind of you know she really she really goes in for that idea of that being a sort of almost traumatic period in a young person's life when they have to get to grips with the sense of what the adult they're going to become what what the adult they're going to become looks like um and then also she's really not the the content of the story in terms of it being a romance is is nothing we haven't heard before i mean Romeo and the, the kind of the love of the love that cannot be Romeo and Juliet Tristan and Isolde um I thought of obviously because of the class differences White Palace um that was written by Glenn Savin but obviously made famous by the film with Susan Sarandon all of that is playing in there but the uh and now I'm going to make a very lofty claim for Rooney but the the, the book that really screamed out to me from 
really the references in normal people is Wuthering Heights. And I think that there's what's going on in terms of the, uh, the specifically the kind of the wildness that's inherent within Marianne and the sort of animal-like references to her throughout the book, often of being a scared animal as it happens. But um, that I think Rooney is drawing heavily on that kind of uh, the intenseness of the romance that's in a book like Wuthering Heights. Um, I mean, you know, if you take a quote from, you know, Kathy says, uh, he's more my, about Heathcliff, he's more myself than I am. Whatever our souls are made of, his and mine are the same. My great miseries in this world have become Heathcliff, Heathcliff's miseries. Uh, you know, my love for Heathcliff is like the eternal rocks beneath. It's that kind of deep, you know, deep, deep, intense um, sense of not just love, but being of the same soul. And it's there in normal people. You know, Marianne had a wildness that got into him, Connell, for a while and made him feel that he was like her, that they had the same unnameable spiritual injury and that neither of them could ever fit into the world. You know, that, it, it's that kind of the very, in the very intense thing of having a common cause of being damaged and being odd and not fitting into um, the world and that being the basis of their love for one another. But I think ultimately and there's pros and cons to this, Rooney is really most interested in the power play of love and the way in which love ultimately involves a power struggle. Um, and that shifts from, it's very subtly shifts from Marianne having the power to Connell having the power in, at different parts of the book. Um, and actually they're really, they're really tussling with that. And a lot of their relationship is based on that kind of even though they, the part of the tension is they won't admit it, that competitive struggle for power between them. So obviously at the start of the book, Connell holds all the social power. He does that terrible thing of keeping their relationship a secret because he's embarrassed. But Marianne makes the first move. She has the grip on him. She talks about how I attempted you, you know. So, and there's that, that thing that we all know, and that doesn't get admitted a lot in contemporary political discussion about feminism, that more often than not at that age, girls have the upper hand when it comes to uh, the power play of sex. Um, and boys are, and Connell is a very good representation of that kind of completely freaked out young man who doesn't really know how to navigate himself in um, the world of sex that's becoming available to him. And obviously later on, when Marianne has all the social weight as a kind of well-to-do student in, in Trinity, um, in her... Uh, comfortable, um, uh, comfortable in her position, her class position in Trinity among her people and Connell feels very isolated in that. Um, at the same time, all the, the words and the, the kind of scenes in the book are about him being the key to her happiness and this sort of repeated reference to the fact that she's sort of empty inside unless she's around him. So really you, the, the, there, the power is not all hers. You know, she loves to be alone with him like this. It makes her life seem very manageable suddenly. So the, it's, it's constantly shifting between the two of them um, in a way that I think says something about, I think Rooney is trying to say something um, about modern relationships and the destructiveness of love, obviously, is a large part of this um, book, as well as the joys of it. There's, more, there's, you know, more terror and horror and depression and upset in this than there is um, obvious scenes of, of happiness and joy. Um, but that doesn't, I don't think that necessarily means that she's down on love. And I think, you know, one of the weaknesses in the book that lots of people have 
pointed out to that I've talked to the, about this and I felt myself is, you know, the, the, the raising of the issue of this sort of sadomasochistic trend or desire that Marianne has, um, which you can dismiss as I think as a kind of, it's cliche and uh, it's, it's um, a rather easy and crude way of, I think, trying to explain what Rooney's looking into, which is this, uh, you know, it being the logical extension of this tension of power in love and sex um, and, and women being overpowered and Marianne feeling like she needs to be um, overpowered. But I wouldn't dismiss it because I think that it's, you know, aside from the obvious fact of Rooney being young and this only being her second book, I think that it's just a sort of uh, a moment of hyperbole in a otherwise quite interesting exploration of um, of of power play and there's a sort of a line here where you know he's he's talking about the you know when they're sort of having sex um in that terrible scene where she and people who've watched the film will know that they did this the, the series will know that they did this very well where they're sort of finally going to come back together in that hot summer in his room and he's watching football um, and they're eating ice lollies and she ruins it by, um, you know, ruins this beautiful moment by asking him to hit her. And it's really quite shocking. And they did that very well in the series. Um, but, and, you know, Rooney goes over the top here, I think, in terms of talking about, you know, her body is just an item of property. She is an abyss that he can reach into an empty space for him to fill. Um, but I think in the context of, of, you know, those intense feelings that you, that you do, feel at that time I think we should all try and cast our minds some of us might be at that age now but cast our minds back to your kind of your early 20s where your first love um or your first intense feeling with someone like that can make you feel that overpowered and I think she really I don't want to overstate it but I think she captures that um that feeling of first love really really well um as well as the the books that have gone before her um but I just kind of want to finish on thinking about <laughs> what I wonder Rooney is really trying to say, because what I would like to, and I wrote a spiked column about this um, when the book first came out, came out, and I really wanted to push this idea that this wasn't a Me Too book, you know, despite the kind of discussions about consent in it, you know, that there's subtle things where he keeps asking, is that nice? And blah, blah, blah. You know, that all goes on in it, and that, that's overt in the series as well. Um, but despite all of that, I would like to make a case for it being more about actually a, a Rooney trying to reinvigorate a sense of the importance of intimacy at a particular time when love and sex seems to be, whether it is or not, it seems to be portrayed as being incredibly problematized among a young generation, millennial generation or younger. Um, and that, that, you know, the fact that it is really the power of the, of their love is in the moments when they're just holding hands or looking into each other's eyes or talking, you know, this sort of, quite funny, ridiculous back to and fro they have about <laughs> very lofty political ideas and they keep missing the mark on them. But that, that being a kind of intimacy as well, that they sort of can reach into each other's souls um, rather than it just being about a sort of shallow, um, shallow understanding of love and sex. Um, and I'd, I've just got one representation of that here um, where she talks about the fact that, you know, Peggy at one point suggests that they might have a threesome, Pe Peggy being Marianne's awful um, friend at university that Connell hates. Um, and this, this absolutely destroys him to the part where he is having a panic attack or is, and is sweating and 
freaking out because he says for the privacy between himself and Marianne to be invaded by Peggy or by another person would destroy something inside him, a part of his selfhood, which doesn't seem to have a name and which he was never, uh, which he has never tried to identify before. So it's like, you know, the same in Wuthering Heights, the idea that you are one and the same person, the bond is so strong between you. Um, and, you know, I think that we need more of that in terms of contemporary discussion about, about this um, area of love and sex. But I also think that there's a case to be made um, that, and this is where I'm going to just completely contradict myself, is that the two characters are both continuously performing. I mean, the mo so many times you hear the phrase, um, you know, Marianne wanted to do this, but it wasn't what she would do, so she didn't do it. You know, they have a, they have a very strong sense of themselves. Connell, obviously, in the kind of infantile way of him being cool when he's young, but also both of them extending into university, having a sense of what they should be and what kind of person they should perform to be and actually carrying on that performance with each other. You know, at someone on social media, when we were promoting this said, well, I just found so frustrating. Why didn't they just talk about it and be honest? And I think there is an element of that where it does get to a point where you think, you know, unless you're really warped, no one goes this long without saying, hang on a minute, I'm upset here, you know? So I think there's, there's a bit too much of that kind of performative nature of it, which I don't think is a mistake. I think actually it's, it reveals something about the, the way in which um, a young generation is being encouraged to be too obsessed with their identities, you know, too obsessed with how they put themselves forward in the world, what their image is, um, all these things I think are, are playing out in, um, in this book. You know, there's a, there's a scene with that poor, poor, long-suffering Helen Brophy, Connell's girlfriend, um, where he, um, you know, says that he was excited not to talk to her, but to finish the talk with her on Skype, just so that he can imagine and play it out in his head what it, what the conversation was like. And that's, you know, that's very self-involved um, way of dealing with relationships. And so there's an element of that in it. But just to finish, you know, and I want to ask that question do we think that this is a positive view of, um, of love and sex and intimacy in, in today's political context? And Sally Rooney is very political. It, she's not kind of a, an author that stays above this kind of stuff. She has opinions on this kind of thing. Um, she's written about pro-abortion in Ireland and has been involved, you know, written about Me Too and stuff like that. Um, or do we think that actually it doesn't quite hit the mark of the, of the issues with uh, the young today? And I just think that, it, you know, one thing that I'd like to raise as well is that I really think Connell is the most interesting person in this book, despite the fact that he's, you know, you know, you could argue that he's slightly one dimensional, that his mother is a bit of a caricature, that, you know, there's, there's flaws there. But in terms of the building of a character and progression, he's got so much more going on for him than, than Marianne. And it's not just because I like the underdog. It's, you know, he, he actually journeys through stuff when she sort of, uh, seems to stay static or even deteriorate um, throughout the book. So I just wanted to raise that. So there's so much more I could say, you know, class differences obviously plays an interesting role in it. Um, and the fact of the the female roles and the way Marianne is depicted is also um, interesting. Conversations with friends, um, her uh, protag female protagonist, Frances, is much more forthright um, than Marianne is. Um, but they sort of do tend to lapse into cliche of the kind of damaged soul. Um, so it's complicated. But overall, it's 
one hell of a book um, and I think there's a lot to talk about so let's hear your thoughts. Thank you very much Ella, it's a really interesting introduction, there's plenty of food for thought so people can ask questions, make points, discuss something that may seem, you know, Ella hasn't raised that you think is important in the book. Um, uh, so raise your hand by using the thing on the, yeah, people got the idea. So I'll, I'll do it in order as we uh, start. So I'll start with Simon. Introduction, really enjoyed the book, really enjoyed the series as well. Um, so the, this thing about the um, Connell's mother, been a caricature. As it happens, I really loved her. I thought she was great. Um, and the thing that really excited me about her was the, it was the one point in uh, the novel where familial relations were really put on the line where she uh, went for her son and said, absolutely, no way, we are going to fall out over this. We're not having your behaviour. And that was a kind of a very rare moment in contemporary society where adulthood and maturity really shone through and was celebrated. And the thing about the um, Connell and Marianne, they are young, uh, so you don't expect them to be adult and mature, um, but they did exemplify uh, immaturity and kind of feeling around and trying to work your way through an understanding of relationships. Um, and so I don't like your kind of uh, summation of Connell's mother as a as a caricature. I thought she was gorgeous. Maybe it's me liking the older woman. Who knows? Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I loved your introduction. The the threesome thing um, that was also very interesting um, because the the threesome discussion drew out a thing about the character uh, of Marianne that I found the most irritating and pedestrian and formulaic, uh, which was she would do anything for her man. Um, so she would get into a, a threesome relationship. And that was, for me, the irritating thing about uh, the novel, which I really enjoyed. So it's not that I found the novel uh, or the series irritating, but the thing that I did find irritating was the formulate aspect of Marianne being the victim who repeats the experience of uh, her mother being abused by the father. And so then she goes on to seek uh, abuse or uh, she's not worthy of being in an intimate relationship and she should uh, to hold her man open up to a threesome um, and that 
I found the most irritating thing, uh, the formula of abuse follows abuse follows abuse. Okay, thanks, Simon. So I'll take a number of people to speak and then get Ella to come back to, uh, to, to, co to comment. We've got uh, plenty of time. So next is uh, Jan. Okay. Um, yeah, well, it's a while since I read it, but I was obviously reminded of it by watching the TV. But the thing I, I really loved was um, it just enabled, it gave me a window into trying to think about contemporary uh, subjectivity of people who are not myself. And, um, and I think, well, I don't know that it did it well, because I'm not, <laughs> but I think um, having seen teenagers up fairly close, I think there's something really fascinating about um, young people discovering intimacy and love and sex in a really unromantic culture uh, and the fact that there is no language and, and ideas for really cultivating that it really made me realize how different things are now to what it was like in the 80s where everything was romantic every it didn't matter whether it was punk or any kind of music had a romantic, everything had a love song to it, every genre of music in all the kind of youth culture. And you know, every film was romantic. And even if it was trying to sort of subvert that, it still had a, a kind of um, a, an ideal to it of something romantic. And I thought that that's what she did really, really brilliantly by all those echoes of, of a romantic literature from the past, which really come through beautifully and force you to look at this what could be just dismissed as a teen experience as something that's the actually is the most profound love that you probably will experience of that character and isn't there's never anything else like it and um you know watching the tv program really made me you know it was in, it was brilliant for really drawing out that sense of yes that's a very very specific period of life the like of which you'll I'm sitting here with my husband. <laughs> You'll never experience again. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I'm still waiting. <laughs> he's, he's still waiting for the. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 so I thought that both the book and the television thing, and and the other book, conversations with friends, just um, she's just fantastic at really bringing out that that development of an individual vocabulary and sort of system of thought that people are having to do for themselves, really, without the support of a broader culture. Elizabeth. So um, thank you, Ella. It was a brilliant introduction. And uh, um, yeah, I really enjoy this book. And uh, first of all, um, I thought that she is really good uh, from a style point of view. Um, if, if, we, if you notice, there are no inverted commas. So you are constantly uh, you know, you have to be really constantly uh, pay attention who is speaking and there is a, a she's very, very good in, um, um, what is, in creating this dialogue between, uh, uh, you know, real dialogue or internal dia dialogue or narrator dialogue. So I thought that uh, she's really brilliant and she, to me, she really pushed, uh, um, you know, the technique of, uh, of, uh, of um, yeah, the, the abolition of inverted comma with the interior voice that speaks to a very, very uh, you know, sophisticated point. Um, the other thing is also the time, the, the, the scansion of the time. So uh, you know, she, she focused just on period of time 
and this gives uh, an acceleration of, uh, of really their progression. And I thought that this, it was very, very nice. Um, and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, it gave her the freedom as well of, um, I don't know, of creating a different type of uh, story, a different type of time, state, of time, or a different type of progression. Um, the other thing that um, uh, is the title, Normal People, and I really do think that this is a normal story. And with uh, what everybody wants to read into it, I think that the mistake of today is this elevation to, you know, the pathology of being in love, the pathology of uh, having or experiment uh, certain things, because, uh, it, you know, Mariani is experimenting, yes, in a negative way, according to some, but at the end, you know, the, the, the end of the, of the book, I, I didn't see the series, but the end of the book, to me, is a very, very positive. So the book, because Marianne now, um, in fact, the last, the last words, I think that are very, very, you know, is beautiful because, uh, but for her, the pain of loneliness will be nothing to the pain that she used to feel of being unworthy. So she found finally his space. And you know, and these are, um, uh, 14, 16, 17, 22, 23 years old, you know, kids. And I thought that it was so incredibly positive that, uh, you know, um, these people are, have got a world so full and they go so, through so many experience and they can keep their feet up actually on the ground because even if they have the, you know, um, Connor, for example, he goes to, uh, the, uh, you know, psychologist or, or, you know, the university, and it's also very funny. Uh, but, but, you know, everything passed, and, uh, and uh, these are the sort of uh, crises that normal people go through. So, you know, I really, really loved it. Thank you. Lots of pleasure. Ella, do you want to come back on just a couple of things now? And then I'll bring some more in. Is that right? Okay, yeah. Um, well, just on the on the on the normal people um, thing, um, there's a really there's a there's a book that, that there's a part in the book that jumps out at you when him and Helen are um, having this row after he's treated Helen very badly at the funeral, um, and she's kind of saying, you know, what's what's wrong with you? You're in love with Marianne, um, and she says, why do you have to act so weird around her? And he says, how I act with her is my normal personality. Maybe I'm just a weird person. And there's that, that you know, the sort of irony of the title for me and, and the whole book is that in this quite uh, lovable way that, that people of their age are, they've got these kind of um, self-aggrandizing views that they are, and they're very open about it, that they are the normal people and everyone else is either kind of, you know, ignorant in terms of politics or pretending at university or um not normal people and then they are they can only be their normal selves with each other and at, at every point when they're not when they're not together they're not normal they fall apart so she you know 
descends into allowing photographers in Sweden tie her up and beat her about and he ends up on the floor unable to move he's so depressed and so the only time they can be normal is when they're with each other which is of course not normal <laughs> it's not normal behavior um, and Jan raises you know the point that Jan raises about this being a very specific kind of intense love is why it's so enjoyable to to go back through it those of us who have who, who have had that because you know, because it's doomed. And actually you get that sense from the start that, that, you know, you sort of know that this can't go on, that he is inevitably going to have to go, you know, even though it's, they don't break up at the end, but this is sort of intensity um, of this first love experience can't continue because it's too destructive um, of each other. You know, that it's not, it's not a coincidence that the way they make each other feel all the time is through negative language. So he talks about her making, you know, the way that she looks at him is so unsettling that he feels like he's drowning. And, um, you know, that she, the way she, he makes her feel is you know, re actually really close to the end when everything's meant to be sort of slightly hunky-dory and, and wrapped up. She says something like, you know, he has chosen me. I have been redeemed through him. And you think that's not a good one. <laughs> you just can't be basing your worth. You're still basing your worth on your relationship with him. So, you know, it's, it's complicated in that kind of, I think Rooney is really reveling in that sort of doomed nature of that first love, which makes it so much more entertaining because um, there's nothing, there's nothing that you want more than something that you can't quite have. And I think they never really managed to make it whole with each other, which is part of why the intensity continues. Um, and then just on a uh, very fair point, Simon, uh, in relation to Lorraine, the only reason I, and obviously she, she sort of is the normal person. And um, she, and because Marianne's mother is so screwed up, in a way that I think that isn't, you know, there are flaws in this book. And one of them is Marianne's family, who the first time I read it, I thought, what is this girl whinging on about? Nothing that bad's happened. You know, I really didn't believe that she was suffering massive abuse. And I thought that it was kind of overblown. And then actually they did it a bit better in the series in terms of the, the, the coldness that would, um, of the family that wouldn't necessarily mean physical abuse. But, uh, you know, uh, like Simon says, it was slightly... I did think, oh yeah, when the whole my father hit me thing came into it, it that felt slightly like a trope. But the reason why I said Lorraine might be slightly caricatured is because, because this, you know, perhaps it's a prejudice I, I might hold about Sally Rooney, um, but it does feel at times like, uh, you know, she, Marianne describes Connell as a wholesome baby tooth. You know, there's this kind of Lorraine as the, as the warm uh, salt of the earth, Caracalee native um, who puts up a you know a bad Christmas tree and always has tea you know in the kettle, and you know as opposed to these people who have these intensely interesting and yes difficult but you know very important lives in Trinity and uh, you know I thought that there was a that you know the you could make an argument that it was slight uh, I would have liked to have seen more from Lorraine. Having said that, I think part of the success of this book is as Elizabeth says that it you only hear from those two, you know, that the, the third person is only their voice. And so that means you, you know, really all of the whole message of it is that all other people don't matter. You know, Helen comes and goes, Jamie comes and goes, all her friends, their friends come and go quite literally. Some of them die and some of them she never talks to again. Um, but, but so the focus on those two is quite central to the whole message of the book. So maybe I am being unfair. 
Okay, I'll just carry on. Thank you very much. Good points. Right, Josephine. Um, I was interested in um, what you said about the doomed because as I went through it, I just felt anxious the whole time reading it and then watching the series as well. And it was really horrible because I got to the point where I thought, I just don't want to carry on, but I do, but I don't, but I do. So, um, you know, that was um, a really, a really good that she made me feel like that. And, you know, don't, do teenagers feel like that sometimes um, over their romances? Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting was um, that she did a kind of reverse class thing because um, you don't really ever see stories where you've got the kind of posh kid being the outsider and um, being excluded by the popular ones in that kind of sense that they did it and then being, being in a position where he was then the outsider when he went to Trinity. Um, and um, she, I just thought that was quite interesting because um, she made the family, the working class family, lovely and supportive. And, you know, you've talked about that. And the, but the mum was very hard and gave direction to him. Whereas the middle class family, Marianne had to create her own direction. And I wonder whether that, I mean, he was very, very repressed and Marianne was kind of very free. But in a way, what happened as they w made their way through the story is Marianne didn't grow up because she she never had adult direction, so she stayed a teenager, and that's why she kind of doesn't feel as rounded a character, maybe. And her actions are very teenagerish, you know, hit me and all of that kind of thing, and why we're irritated with her as an adult. Thanks, Joe. Uh, Anne. Thank you so much, Ella, and everyone else, because I think the contributions have been brilliant. And like Josephine, I was really uncomfortable um, watching normal people on, on the series, but I loved the book, I loved the story. I think for all of us, we can see our own lives in it. The thing that hit me the hardest, and it's definitely through the prism of, of, of my life, is the hellish, hellish home life that Marianne had. Do not underestimate the, uh, the way her brother treated her and her father had treated her and her mother. I have seen that in close family situations and I've seen the repercussions. And I think, um, uh, like Simon, I absolutely loved Lorraine, um, Connell's mother. I thought Connell, despite his, um, a, the the difficulties he had of communicating, which are so um, hard to bear when you were reading the book and watching the series, thought he had absolute integrity as a human being. And therefore, as a man, when he goes through life, he will be able to form good relationships because he will evolve and he will extend himself. I think Marianne is much more stunted and craving love, but she may not be whole enough to ever warrant it in the course of her life. So I think that one of the important things in this book is the trajectory and how people evolve as grown-ups and able to participate in relationships. Because we live in a world where um, relationships fall apart all the time in our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s, even though we may, we may not wish that. So I think it's a terrific book to be studying. And uh, thank you, everyone, for your contributions, because I think they've been brilliant. Thanks, Anne. Uh, Merid. 
I really enjoyed everyone's contribution and Ella's introduction and points. I think the question that Ella raised is so spot on um, about whether this book is really important at this time in terms of intimacy and love and desire. Um, I think it really, really is. I think that it stands out among contemporary fiction. Uh, for me, especially uh, female written fiction, and I think we could compare it to so many books at the minute, which it has been compared to. Specifically, I'm talking about Nisha Dolan's book. And I think that this just is the opposite of all those books, because for me, I find it incredibly moving. I had a breakdown at two points and was crying so much. And it wasn't even at points that you should have been crying at. It was like when they seen each other at the party again and they had a conversation, I was like completely beside myself. And I think the reason that it spoke to me so much was how vulnerable they are with each other. So I think the points that I would contest of Bella's is, um, or anybody's is, I really don't feel like it's cliched. I think that um, the it made so much sense to me, the family relationship and how she was repeating those patterns, but in a different way in her sex life. Um, and also I felt that the Connell character was really well drawn. I think what Sally Rooney does is she gives you a sort of glimpse of something. So there's a, there's a part at the beginning of the book where Connell goes to visit his grandmother and basically you find out that his mother had him as a child and that she ruined his life. And there was never, it was never spoken about again, but you suddenly realized why he was such a people pleaser. And I think what the book does incredibly well is it shows how somebody's weakness can actually be what allows them to be lovable. And I think what I find so useful about the book is that um, their relationship basically is like, I felt that there was an authenticity in it because they were able to accept each other at certain points because of the kindness there. And that really a lot of the times the relationships we get into are a way of defending ourselves against loss. And that this book was about these, this relationship that Ella spoke about as well, about how the, one of the points that Ella said she, she didn't like is that, you know, there's this constant thing throughout the book that um, he, that he uh they're never actually to get when they're together it's an, it's overcompass it's too much it's they're never feeling good he feels like he's drowning but that's because he's allowing himself to actually love somebody and he's having to face the fact that when you love somebody you could lose them and most relationships they don't go that deep because you're defending yourself against that loss and then that's why i just feel like it's such an important book because it, it doesn't put women against men in the way that so many other books the minute I, I've read have. Thank you very much. That's some really good points people are making. Right. Uh, uh, so I'll bring, I'll bring a few more and then I'll come back. We'll carry on. So, uh, Katerina. Yeah, I really enjoyed the introduction and I also really enjoyed the book. And um, I'm sort of kicking myself that I waited this long to start reading it uh, because initially I thought, Oh, it's not aimed at my age group. And um, we started um, discussing the book uh, on our Friday night social with my group of friends. Neither of us have, has read the book, but we keep talking about it. And then I thought, 
okay, I volunteer and start reading the book and then we can discuss it. Um, it's just people are obviously intrigued and want to know what, what all the fuss is about. And, um, and um, I like the book because I think it also captures the zeitgeist. And uh, I thought, why should I deny myself reading books that are about the zeitgeist, even though um, on the surface, it doesn't look like it's, um, you know, um, maybe for a cross-generational book, but that's also the beauty of it. It speaks to everyone. So that's one point. And um, initially I felt um, just on the writing style that um, it comes across as a bit um, maybe banal, um, just the way uh, she writes and puts in sort of things like um, Colin tidied the shopping away into the press and then he put the kettle on and so it's very kind of um, I'm not I'm not quite sure what what the, the correct term is but there's like everyday um, actions and activities are written about um, and in a way that also grounds the characters uh, just in the sort of everyday and normal life <clears throat> so you have an affinity with them um, which is quite nice and as you go along on the journey with them you know you um, you just become also familiar with their surrounding and um, I also wanted to make a point about um, the sort of the different backgrounds of the main characters I thought that um, it was a bit simplistic um, that Marianne comes from a sort of fairly well-to-do background is unhappy you know, the, the, there's, um, uh, she doesn't get on with her brother and there's the abuse. Uh, Colin comes from a working class background, uh, sort of um, single parent, and he's in a much happier place. And I thought that's, uh, again, a bit cliched. Um, so I could have, that could have been maybe done a bit in a different way. Um, uh, that, that sort of tainted it a bit for me. <clears throat> And um, I wanted to finish on the point that, um, it, you know, I could, could have kicked Colin uh, throughout the whole book because um, he didn't quite realize that he could be himself when he was um, with Marianne. It took him a while to realize that, you know, he, they have this affinity and he could be himself and he could be honest whereas with the other relationships he had they were very superficial and but you know this is true to life we go through different relationships and um, often we don't realize what we have and until it's too late so yeah so I'm, I'm ending there that's fine thank you very much right Jen take a couple more and then bring it over so uh, Jenny I hate to tell you that I didn't enjoy this book at all. Uh, I thought the I thought the um, actual television programs um, I I found much more um, engaging. And I wanted to bring up one very very important difference between the performances in the television program and the book. Um, the, the novel is obviously written with a sort of third person narrator. And I take the points that they missed out, you know, the, um, uh, the normal punctuation, which indicates it very clearly. 
but actually I found it that really uh, the fact that you never really got to the inside of these people's feelings or thoughts. I, I, I was just left feeling that she never really developed their internal lives, even though superficially it looks as if the whole book is about their internal lives. Whereas at least in the television series, you're getting real dialogue. And you get that important difference where instead of telling you what's going on, what people are thinking or what people are saying, um, you're being shown. So the acting was actually the real key to the thing because it was the only thing that I found that really allowed you to get some idea of internal feelings and conflict. So that, that, that was the, uh, the first thing. Ella, I really enjoyed your introduction actually much more than the book because it raised some really, really interesting questions which I hadn't perhaps thought about. You made the um, analogy with Wuthering Heights or at least said that she drew inspiration from that kind of very intense relationship. Um, but you actually made a very important point about um, modern relationships or apparently modern relationships being a lot about individuality and about performance and that people were very, very preoccupied with themselves and the individual um, selves. And actually, um, I, I happen to have been reading Lady Chatterley's Lover for the, the session uh, uh, um, uh, Saturday week. And in the apropos of Lady Chatterley's Lover, um, where um, D.H. Lawrence really discusses what he was trying to get at about uh, the sexuality and about the uh, what people re rejected as blaspheming. And he really made, emphasized the point about real intimacy and getting away from the sort of superficial performance, performative aspects of it and personality aspects of it. And I thought that was, that was quite an important point because you can't expect young people to necessarily um, develop that. But I think any of us now, just to show my age, right? I was a teenager in the 1960s, very early 1970s. And quite honestly, all of these things occurred in my life as a teenager. I, I couldn't see any difference in the sort of embarrassment, the intensity, um, the class differences, although I was in South Africa, of course, so it had a completely different take. But during the 60s, right, we were individuals and personalities by virtue of the politics. And that was terribly important, both as teenagers and going into university. And I was just left with the feeling that the one thing that she, she did really seem to grasp was this whole emphasis on how damaged apparently young people are 
um, either by experiences within the family or by depression and and those sort of things that did seem very very different from teenage teenage love affairs and teenage relationships going back in in previous decades and i suppose it was that as well that left me feeling this is looking more at a sort of rather facile interpretation of the problems you know facing young people it didn't come across to me as the reality for for people i'll leave it there because oh. obviously it's quite no no jenny it's great to hear that and we'll have to i'll 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 just get breeze to come in and then i'll get ella to respond to various points and go no 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 we want why does different views are better breeze oh hi Oh gosh, there's so much I could say about the book, mainly because I loved it so much. And I really enjoyed the television series as well, and thought it was one of the best adaptions I'd seen of a long time of a book to TV. Um, I, somebody, uh, it's been mentioned that we, that the, maybe there was too much concentration on them as a couple and their their internal lives and their relationships and all the rest of them. We didn't get much of a feel for a wider setting. And actually, I'm not sure that that's true because um, right at the outset, when uh, Colin and Marianne were having their relationship, do you remember the, the bit where he took her up to the ghost estate? Yeah. And um, Marianne, even though this estate that was, the, the, the context is that this was built, uh, be, these estates were being built in Ireland during the economic boom and then had to be abandoned uh, with the crash. So estates and houses were just left and obviously young people used to hang out there. But Marianne had never heard of this place, despite the fact that it was local to them and he took her there. And I think the author is making a point that well, he was, she was basically drawing attention to, to, the, um, to the crash. Um, and, uh, and Ireland's economic crisis. I think the other things that uh, spring to mind is um, the, the difference between them both, um, Back, at, back home and then at Trinity. And we've talked a bit about that already, how Marianne uh, wasn't, uh, she's from the rich family, wasn't popular at school, didn't care, was very bright and didn't feel she had much to learn from the teachers. Um, Connell uh, did well, but he was popular uh, with his mates and he was a footballer and very um, okay with himself. And all of that changed when he went to Trinity, where he was the, the culture from the country and Marianne and felt awkward, didn't know how to make friends, didn't really fit in. Whereas Marianne found her niche there and lived in her in a flat belonging to the family while Connell had to share a room with a, a, a male student, another student. Um, which really uh, illustrates, uh, you know, the privilege of one and how the other one wasn't. Um, 
and the, and the difference eventually that it would make to Colin's life um, when they both got scholarships. Marianne financially was all right, but for Colin, uh, it gave him um, freedom and, and a huge, would have a huge material effect on his life. Um, but I, 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 between the two, I think Colin was the more interesting character and, um, and I really liked him. And it was lovely to see how he, he, he developed uh, throughout the novel. Um, I think, you know, he, in, he went from uh, really not knowing how to be himself. He didn't know what he thought. He often didn't answer a question when he was asked. He would deflect it, or uh, or he'd say something like, "Sure, you know, sure you know me," which is another way of saying, "I don't know myself," or, or "I'm predictable," but I don't want to answer this. Um, he's um, and his his modesty. He's well, yes, unconfidence, yes, but modesty as well. You know, when he. Um, he did his seminar presentation and how full of nerves he was at that and he had no idea how he came across or how brilliant he was and he, he do you remember he wrote the short story as well for the student magazine and he wouldn't allow that to be published under his name because he didn't want that attention so i you know i, I think what, what we saw is two very different characters um, grow, you know, have a relationship, um, grow and develop and mature to the extent that they were fine at the end to separate. We don't know what, how, what the ending will be and it doesn't really matter. But I feel that they both got to the stage where they were going to be okay independently and might stay in touch, might remain friends or not, but it didn't really matter because I think what the author had done is develop them sufficiently to feel that they were kind of ready to embark on the world on their own. Thanks, Bridge. Okay, I'll get, I'll get Ella to come in. Okay, yeah, thanks, yeah. Um, just on that, because people have raised it in the chat as well, on the performative, the performative thing that I was um, talking about, um, I think that it is, Bridge is right that Connell is, and, and others that have said it right that Connell is much more of a well-rounded figure and part part of the I mean you can make an argument that Marion gets a quite a bad rap in this book because she's a lot of the time distinctly unlikable and it comes out in the uh, in the series quite well in terms of as much as you think Connell is a bastard for rejecting her at school her very blasé kind of letting it all wash over her passive response to her awful friends at university or, um, you know, it's lines in the book where she kind of, she, she's quite open about the fact that, you know, she would like her superior intellect to be affirmed in public by the transfer of large amounts of money. That way she could affect modesty without having anyone actually believe her. You know, she's a lot of the time you don't like her a lot. Um, I didn't like her a lot. Um, and that's kind of compounded by these moments at which, um, you know, the, the whole way in which she explores or actually rather succumbs to the identity of herself as someone who enjoys being brutalized during sex 
or you know beaten up certainly um is is she's actually just playing that role so you know she uh, th there are really quite obvious moments when she says there's a point at which they're in the car i think it's just after when they're going to the party and he's driving her and they're sort of rekindling their romance um at university and she says um you know maybe she, excuse excuse the language this is the book maybe she just wants to remind him that he once fucked her in the back seat of the car they're now sitting in and she want in a sadistic display of power but that wouldn't be like her so she says nothing so she's got this, this developing sense of what she thinks that she looks like in his eyes i think she's always trying to second guess herself and that then changes when in that scene in the coffee shop where she really is trying to shock him uh, at, at this sort of new development that jamie her boyfriend is knocking her around during sex um and she he looks it says she he looks at her to see if she's joking and she tilts her chin at an angle and says she won't back down from telling him about it because that would be giving into something she doesn't believe about herself so she, so it's it it feels like she is consistently putting up this kind of very very um shallow performative view of herself which you which is very off-putting and you know i take the points from the floor that 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 does then fall in line with the sense that he's had a uh, an upbringing um, in a much more grounded reality with the pressures of, you know, obviously, as Breach says, the backstory to this is that his life will have had different kinds of pressures and realities in it that she's never had to deal with. I mean, she does, she does come across as someone who's been quite sheltered despite the, uh, the, the inferred abuse. I mean, you know, she just gets given a house in Trinity. She gets given money. She's not had to struggle in a, in a way that Connell has not being too crude about it in certain class terms, but obviously that might, that you can see how that might have made him someone who's got more integrity um, and is a bit more grounded. But one point I wanted to make, um, and it sort of links into what other people said, but just to also throw it in there. One thing I found fascinating is what a step, uh, how do I put this right way? Um, what a masculine character Connell is and how refreshingly, uh, unusual that is in today's you know in today's world in terms of you know she, she there's that incredibly sexually charged scene where he beats this lanky little guy you know scrawny posh guy jamie at pool and he says are you watching me marianne and then pops the ball and it's like oh you know he's a man and and that's why she's attracted to him and he's on the football team at school um and then you know obviously that crucial scene which is really the the proof of him coming good despite you know really he they apologize for he apologizes for what happened at school when they're at university but the moment in which he really comes good as a man is when he rescues her from her brother and he uh you know and they actually took took that further in the series where he pinned him against the wall and said i will kill you if you do that again and it's that you know those are you know you can imagine if you were sort of <laughs> a gender fluid campaign and you'd be saying this is the most awful heteronormative gender norm stuff but it's it's true and it's real and um and i just thought that actually rooney was being kind of brave in in saying you look this is a not to say that all women fancy that kind of a man but this is you know this is kind of sexual power this is what goes on in relationships and it's real and it means something um, and the differentiation between the two of them there in terms of her being this really quite ultra feminine character um and him being this this masculine character was interesting 
and just the fact that I think she got, Jan mentioned um, about teenage boys earlier on, you know, the fact that he, yes, it's, it, I, I've already said that it's been cliched in parts, but the fact that he cannot tell, you know, that terrible scene where he cannot tell her that he wants to stay with her and it ends up breaking up the, in the house in Dublin and he has to go, then he goes back um, for the summer to Caracalini. You know, that, that really happens, that boys can be that, uh, and young men can be that insecure about themselves and about, you know, they want to know absolutely for sure that you're going to say yes before they ask you out, that they can wreck whole scenarios for themselves. They're not able to be honest. So I thought that was, that was a very honest uh, and, and true representation of young men and something that hasn't changed and actually perhaps has been amplified after the whole post Me Too world that we're living in and so I thought that was quite brave of her to put that forward and portray that kind of character in such a warm light as Connell because you just love him uh, even though he's flawed and everything. Okay thank you. Keep going. Uh, Shirley. Okay thanks. Um, actually quite a few things that I might have said have already been said but um, Jenny I, um, I enjoyed the book but I agree with you about the about the TV series because I felt that there was something it brought, it did bring some sort of more depth of character, I thought, of the TV. Um, and I really thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, but, but as I was reading the book, I was thinking, oh God, young people haven't changed since I, in the 60s, was a teenager. You know, our kids really like this now. <laughs> Haven't they learned to talk to each other? So, you know, and, and obviously, you know, so that was something I really felt the echoes of the past there and thought of, um, you know, writers like Edna O'Brien and there's just a way that, that that sort of real stilted sort of thing. Um, that didn't spoil it for me, I have to say, but it did come as a bit of a shock at the time. I can see that there's different reasons for it. Um, you know, I think just shyness, not knowing about, you know, different issues in the 60s, let's say. Um, but I do just want to say something about the end, because I just, I might be a, a completely diehard romantic, but I just think, I just thought there, this is a wonderful thing about their relationship, that actually Marianne has become quite a strong person and has been strong enough to say, to recognize that Connell's got this opportunity, go and do it, right? Not, I mean, it would have been so easy for her to have said, it, knowing that she didn't want to go anywhere, it would have been so easy for her to say, no, all right, stay with me and let's have a, you know, lovely, cosy time together. And I, I, you know, I, I thought that was a really positive thing and probably said, you know, you think, well, that probably all good really well for the future. But as I think Breege said earlier, in actual fact, however it emerged, whether they, you know, went and lived their lives together or whether they didn't, the fact that they'd had a relationship that had gone on for, what would it be, four years perhaps, on and off. But they were actually real soulmates, I think. I really, really do think that there was something, a real depth of, of friendship as well as lovers um, that I just find, I just, you know, brings a sort of lump to my throat. I just thought it was great. I loved it. Thanks, Shirley. Um, Mark, if I can unmute you, which I have, no. 
Yeah, I agree with Ella that um, all of us would like a man like Connell in our lives. <laughs> um, but um, uh, so I think the, um, I, I love the book as well. I, yeah, I thought it was great. And, and the TV series, like everybody said. Um, and uh, I think the, the kind of, obviously the, the structure and the form and the, however you want to describe it is of a, of a romance. Um, it's a, like a kind of love story and all that kind of thing. But I, I'm, I'm with Brige. I wonder whether the real story is the, is the transition and the development and the maturing and the changing of the two characters. And more specifically, the way that they help each other to make the transition. So the, the constant flip-flopping between how they're helping each other through the story. Um, but I think ultimately it's kind of a, it's like a double coming of age story almost you know it's not like your um, catcher in the rye or it's not like a single person coming of age we've got two people coming of age but the only because they've helped each other because uh, you know some people are saying sort of which is the stronger characters and which are the um, uh, primary or whatever but uh, don't forget Connell didn't he didn't think he could go to university um, she persuaded him that he, he could do. She persuaded him that he should do English. Um, he he says things, I think a few people have mentioned, that he um, he doesn't know what he thinks. Um, so, you know, he is he is a weak, he's a weakened character. He's used to being liked um, at school and everybody likes him, but he doesn't know what he is. Uh, he's kind of empty. And then I think um, with Marianne, you know, she, she wants to be loved, but she, she doesn't know what love is because she hasn't seen it. She's, got, she's in a house where there is none. So I think the S&M stuff is, is quite important because she doesn't know what, she wants to be dominated by love. She wants to be completely overwhelmed by it and give to it, but she doesn't know kind of what it looks like. So I think the two together, they kind of, you know, help each other come of age um, and mature. And so I think Breeze is right then. It almost is, it would be wrong if there was a sort of, you know, part two where they stay together because then, then it's just a love story. It's, it could be any, any couple. It's the, it's, the, it's the sort of the first love that my wife here mentioned, you know. <laughs> Whereas actually the reason, I think the normal people, somebody mentioned earlier about the titles, Elizabeth. My, my feeling on it was, was almost like a, I got a picture at the end of the book, almost of zooming out, and it could have been any people. It could have been any people of this era, any young people who have got these kind of psychological fears and worries about growing up and all the rest of it. It could be any, you could have, it could have been completely different stories from different backgrounds, but they all would have needed to be making this transition. And there's this kind of Frankel, Victor Frankel element where, you know, actually, love can be the thing that that kind of you know takes you uh allows you to develop so i think they're 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 coming of age and everything my criticism is not really of the book is is of um i don't want to be contrary all the time but i am going to have to be contrary here is why is it so popular um because it does feel to me like you know the 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 i mean you probably saw the articles about the fact that um record numbers of people watching it but something like three quarters of the people watching it were sort of middle-aged the series this is i don't know what the, the figures are for the book itself but it was uh, middle-aged people and i think people have really picked up on this element that my wife put, <laughs> you know the the first flush 
of romance and this is the passionate romance never to be repeated you know no matter how long you live together it was or, during lockdown or, you know. <laughs> um so you know the the sort of uh, and that's the thing that everybody's and you can you know it's it's like people jumping onto facebook and contacting old boyfriends and girlfriends from school there, there is something a little bit unhealthy i felt i liked it i really loved it and i thought that the adaptation was great but i felt not it, it's not voyeuristic I, I wasn't i didn't dislike the fact that we were watching young people having sex that's that was kind of okay if that's the device i felt it was um i, I was kind of i found myself critical of the fact that we middle-aged people were looking back on this moment in our lives you know why haven't we got our own stories really why haven't we <laughs> <laughs> anyway i'll leave it at that we should probably go right. right. uh, i was asking a question at the start which i thought was really interesting which was does the book have anything to say to the contemporary moment um and the moment of me too um and i feel that it does in a but in a quite a complicated way so there are two things I think Rooney does with the characters, which are fascinating. And they introduce a complication into the Me Too narrative. Sorry, I just had to run down the stairs to give somebody a football. Just quite a masculine thing to do. I think you'll find. Um, the first is she introduces ambivalence into the relationship, into, into what we would call love. So the sex scenes I thought were fascinating, both in the book and in the TV show, in that they both were a way of getting intimacy and a way of refusing intimacy. Um, and maybe most good sex has a bit of both in it, that there is a kind of a, a complicated mixture of love and hatred together in passion. These things are not opposites, they're two sides of the same thing. The opposite of love is not hatred, but, but um, apathy. And I think that what she does brilliantly in this is create in their ongoing journey and in their ongoing relationship with one another, this ambivalence. Um, Adam Phillips talks about, I think the phrase he uses is, um, kindness entails the acknowledgement of hatred. Um, it is kind to see someone as they are, not as how, how you would like them to be. And so they, they're constantly wrestling with the pictures they have of one another. And it brings up the point then that I think has been talked about so many times by so many people, which is about performativity. Um, and what I would suggest is that Me Too, and not just Me Too, but the kind of contemporary social movements, like Black Lives Matter, for example, as well, are based around shame. Um, now, this is understandable, and there are perhaps good causes for shame, but shame is a very complicated thing, and shame always destroys intimacy. It destroys relationship. And I think for Marianne and Connell, they can't change one another, despite Sally Rooney saying, really, the book is about people can change one another. <laughs> I don't think they can, but what they can do and what they do, I think, is they're deeply skeptical, skeptical of each other's sources of shame. So they're both, throughout the whole novel, they're both obsessed with, with shame. They're, they're curtailed by shame in all their relationships, and especially in the relationship with one another. But the brilliance is that the, sh the shame is always, the shame that they have about themselves is negated by the picture the other person has of them. And they, in other words, Connell refuses Marianne's picture of herself and Marianne refuses Connell's picture of himself. And that's all they do, but that opens up this tremendous possibility. 
Um, but the brilliance again is that they, <laughs> it doesn't fix them, it doesn't make them whole, and it doesn't do away with the ambivalence. The ambivalence is still there. Um, and so I think it speaks into this moment. The reason why the performativity is so important is that I think young people are aware way more perhaps than in the 60s. I think that the age, the internet age and the social media age and the iPhone age is so different in terms of the expectation of young people upon themselves, not just from their peers, but from the internalization of the, the peer picture in, inside themselves. And so it's much more repressive than a, you know, a Soviet state, <laughs> the voice inside one's head, as Orwell would have taught us. And, and what Rooney does or seems to do is unsettle that through this relationship. I think that's why it's so popular. I think that's why it's so powerful, even if it's not upfront. And I think it's made even more powerful is the final point I, I think I have, because I don't think Rooney likes this. I don't think Rooney likes that this is the case. I, I think Conversations with Friends, her last book, was I think much weaker because the two protagonists were relentlessly arguing over power. They wanted to have a relationship, but they kept picking apart each other's power dynamics because Rooney wanted, I felt in that book, to try to find a relationship that doesn't have a power imbalance, that doesn't have ambivalence, that doesn't have, that, that can do away with shame or the need for shame. Um, and it was a weaker book because it did, it, you, I don't think you can. And the, the brilliance of this book is that Rooney's written something that she's quite ambivalent about herself, I think. And so there's no end, there's no, there's no point to be made. There's no, there's no, I think the genius of, of the writing is, I mean, I take the point about style. I don't think stylistically, I don't particularly like it, but I wonder if part of the flatness gives it its power um, that allows the, the sort of the embeddedness of the, the relationships and the dynamics in the relationships to, to dominate everything else, even when it's not, even when we don't realize it. So, yeah, I think it speaks to, just to summarize, it speaks to the, the, the contemporary moment for me because it uses, it, it challenges two things, it brings two things into play, ambivalence and the problem of shame, and it refuses an easy answer with them. And it, it actually, the unsettling of the book, and it leaves an unsettling figure, feeling for all of us, I think, is because those questions ultimately aren't very answerable. Um, but they feel unbelievably pressing, maybe more than ever. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, whether we like certain characters doing certain things or not, I think ultimately we're, we're driven constantly back into that unsettling space of what we do with our shame and what we do with our ambivalence. Thank you very much. Thanks. Helen. Um, I think those comments are really fascinating um, and really interesting uh, um, in terms of its sort of contemporary relevance and um, I also, I mean, I, I disagree with Shirley and, and Jenny. I found that I found it very modern in terms of the sort of ambivalent um, attitudes within the book. I thought that was, and, and I think the point Jan made about the sort of, it's like uh, relationships in the absence of romance. I think all of those things are quite contemporary ideas and really important. That obviously was a more profound point than I was going to make, which was, um, I think I personally thought that there was, I found the book very much about uh, coming of age. That's how I read it. I thought it was a really absolutely brilliant kind of sense of what it's like to, to go from, to transition from, you know, being a, an, a, a child to be, or being a, a young adult, really. I mean, I thought it was just fantastic. And what I thought was really, I thought I kind of read the whole normal people thing a little bit differently than people have said in this 
uh, discussion because I think that the um, uh, I think that one of the things when you're that age um, and uh, is that you think that you're that, that you're not normal you think you're the outsider you constantly experience the world that you're not really part of it that everybody else is getting on and doing stuff and you're this weird person and I think although the book is about normal people I think that they themselves at various point in the book in the in the story they feel themselves as not normal and not um, able to be part of have normal relationships and be part of society and I think that is very much a sense of feeling as being an outsider I think is a really uh, strong thing you feel when you kind of are trying to make your way in the world you kind of feel like everybody else has it figured out and you're just not normal in the same way so I thought that she captures that sort of sense of feeling like you're an outsider really well. And I think she also captures um, brilliantly the sort of the tensions in youth where, and, and you know, you know they're, they're, they're completely self-obsessed on one level, but they're so not self-aware. I mean, they kind of have this sort of tension of, you know, they're constantly sort of examining their own motives and their feelings and everything but they're not really until you know right towards the end of the story do they develop any real self-awareness and just general confidence and i think that's really powerful in the book and i think the contradiction between that i think ella explained very well at the beginning between the sort of sense of this is where we're really in, intimate this is where we can really be ourselves and yet at the same time it's all a bit of a performance it's all um, you know, they're constantly second guessing what the other person is saying, which obviously means it isn't really intimacy. It's, it's just, um, it's just this sort of sense of, of sort of becoming. And I think it's working through those things, which is what it means to become a grown up. And I, so I found that that part of the book I thought was really um, brilliant. And I thought there were lots of levels that you could sort of see that movement and um, difficulty. And I think they think there's so much more sussed out than they really are and I think it's um it's 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 very very well written for someone I don't know how old she is but I mean you know you're someone my age or maybe a bit younger you you think oh yeah I've done all that I know all that but this it just captures it in the moment in an absolutely brilliant way and I think it's 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 um fantastic lots of other things have been said so I don't want to um repeat many things there, there are a couple of other things I thought about it I thought the um I felt a little bit, I, someone mentioned about the anxiety that you have in the book, I think it was Josephine, where she says, you know, you're constantly thinking, oh my God, I can't really read this. Um, I don't know what's going to happen next. And I kind of, in a slightly voyeuristic way, I thought, maybe I'm feeling a bit like Marianne, that I want to just put myself through this, because it's just, I know I'm not going to like what's going to happen next, but I still want to know what's going on. And, and I thought, no, maybe that's a bit too uh, clever. But she definitely does get that sort of, she captures that anxiety brilliantly. And then... The other thing I thought was great, which nobody's mentioned, but um, I, I thought it was a fabulously brilliant book about Ireland. It's such an Irish book. There's bits about it which are so, um, you know, it just speaks of Ireland and, and the sense of place in it, even though it doesn't go on and it doesn't do beautiful scenes or anything like that. There's just that sort of sense of the country and Dublin and it's just absolutely brilliantly done. And, um, you know, I think that's worth mentioning. The thing I think she doesn't do very well, I, by the way, I haven't watched the TV series. I, I don't even know if we have it here. Um, and it isn't such a big thing here, um, which is uh, interesting. And I wonder if it became popular because it's 
lockdown. I mean, I watched Tiger King. It was terrible, but you know, I was in lockdown. I watched all sorts of crap. So, I mean, you know, I'm not saying this is crap, but I don't think we can judge very much from that. The one thing I did think it did terrible though, it was really awful at, and I think it just must be not her thing, or maybe people now relate to politics in a different way. I felt their interest in politics was completely, uh, you know, it just didn't convince me at all. They talked about Gaza. I mean, who the hell just talks about Gaza like that? It's just like, I mean, I know Palestinians who don't talk about it like that. It was just completely sort of, oh, I'm just going to tack this in to try and show that they're interested in the outside world. And it absolutely didn't work for me. I thought it was trivial and stupid and unnecessary and, um, you know, it just didn't speak to me at all. So I think she got lots of things really right, but passion for the world, you know, through politics, she got completely wrong, I thought. Thanks, Helen. Dennis, if I can unmute you. Um, yeah, I very much enjoyed the book and the series. Um, I thought Helen's points were very interesting. Her last point there, particularly about the politics aspect of it, I, I felt that Marianne and Connell in the in the final analysis were be, were people who would probably turn up for the toppling of the statue in Bristol. You know that was their relationship to politics. It had a kind of which is not which is indicative of 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 a, of a certain strata of people. Very much so. If you, anybody ever reads the Irish Times, they're so right on. Yeah, in terms of you know. And they write on all the subjects that you could think of that British press don't often cover, like in, into, you know, intimately what's going on in Gaza or what's going on in all those places. They, they spend a lot of time covering that kind of stuff. So I thought she reflected that kind of, you know, a superficial kind of, uh, you, know, um, uh, you know, virtue signaling aspect of, of the Irish kind of middle classes that uh, is, I find despicable. But um, um, I thought... On the Irish thing again in general, it's an interesting thing because Edna O'Brien's book, you know, Country Girls, 50, 60 years ago, caused a scandal in the sense that, you know, it was banned and everything because of the explicit sex scenes about two girls who kind of coming of age and getting out of rural Ireland, getting to Dublin and ultimately to London. Radio 4 dramatised it just recently, like it was very good. But um, uh, the interesting thing for me about normal people is the whole relationship that they have with each other and uh, the process of coming of age and growing is mediated through their own personal inclinations. There is no real moral compass for them to sort of grasp. Maybe Lorraine plays it in a very small way in relation to Connell's behavior. But, you know, an Irish society, which is denuded of its Catholicism and of its religion, uh, you know, has acquired its secularity through a whole series of scandals and paedophile priests and all the rest of it. And is now in a position where young people come to their sort of maturity or come to their relationships through a kind of, you know, through a kind of secularity in a way that offers little or no guidelines about, about you know, what, what, is your, what are your relationships? What shapes the relationship you have with another human being? Even the whole business of falling in love, you know, um, which never manages to break them off their own self-obsession. I think that's so characteristic of probably contemporary sort of millennial young people. Their own self-obsessions don't allow them to ever experience the, the, the fantastic thing of actually falling in love to the extent that you forget about yourself completely. And you're just obsessed with another person. 
and you're obsessed with sort of all you can do to sort of continue it or to keep it going or whatever. They're just all the time obsessed with themselves and they kind of, uh, you know, they, they, you know, one of the contributors mentioned shame. You know, shame comes into it, but you kind of always wonder where it comes from. You know, what is it that gives you that sense of something? Where does Connell get his sense that, you know, sleeping with three people, you know, having a threesome is wrong or hitting a woman, beating her is wrong. Or where does these things come from? Uh, they're kind of eked out of a kind of, you know, self-obsession rather than sort of having, you know, as we all know, or, you know, as many of us have been engaged with kind of political arguments saying that millennial generation have been socialized into a kind of fragility and to a self-obsession and into a sense of, you know, um, being psychologically fragile and so forth. All of those arguments seem to sort of, whether she consciously does it or not, I don't, you know, I, I don't know, but she, it, the two characters seem to manifest that, that kind of incapacity to, to be able to sort of, you know, sort of, you know, find the path uh, through life uh, to, to maturity that, you know, is, um, is, uh, is, uh, is, is reasonable and without sort of all the time bordering on tragedy. You know, I'm sort of falling into sort of some tragic circumstance of, of sexual exploitation or of kind of unrequited love or whatever. You can't, you can't really engage with the world in a way that fulfills your ambitions. Uh, even though you're two very intelligent people, you know, you're AAA plus students and all the rest of it. They seem to have that big problem. But, um, you know, it's just a few talks. Thanks, Dennis. So I'll take the remaining people who've got their hands up and then I'll get Ella to uh, round it up. Uh, Claire. I've been looking forward to this discussion and it's much better than I'd even hoped for. So thanks, everyone. I feel as I'm going to make some banal points in comparison with some really uh, insightful comments. But a few things. Um, you know, Jenny Cunningham, I think earlier said, you know, in comparison with when she was young and, and at university talked about politics and this was so self-absorbed. And I thought, oh, my God. Um, it's, I felt when I read it, it described everything about what I was like at university. And so I might have been talking about politics, but let me assure you, I was self-absorbed for many a year and well after university, it strikes me. Um, one of the things, though, that the reason I say that is because Katrina made the point that, you know, this has been very much described as a generational book that helps you get under the skin of contemporary youth. And there's, um, there's a danger that that's a kind of self-flattery of generational youth who think that anyone who's old doesn't understand anything. You know, there's this sort of weird thing, which was people told me that I didn't understand the book. And I was like annoyed, you know, I say, what do you mean? This is like younger people who said, oh yes, but it's really, it's a book, it's about our generation. And, and that bemused me because it was as though, uh, because I don't think it's so different that actually anyone of any age, it's a good piece of literature, but it also described something about young, intense love, as people have said, but it was quite funny that the arguments I've had with young people was that they assumed I wouldn't understand it because it's about contemporary society, but some things are pretty timeless. Um, I wanted to take up uh, Jenny again on, on something else, which is she said that she didn't think it captured the interior lives in the novel, but the series was much better. 
Actually, I think the reason why the TV series was so accurate in relation to the book was precisely because the novel captured the interior so well that you could actually create this TV series entirely that captured the flavour of the novel because actually you read it and I, I felt like I knew these people ult ultimately and intimately and I thought that was reflected very well. The, the biggest thing for me about the... Um, the issues in the book is, you know, one of the frustrations when you're reading it is obviously we're all saying, tell him or tell her or say it, or for God's sake, don't leave the room without saying it. It's, it's the communication crisis. You know, it's the kind of inability to articulate, you know, you want, you know, the misunderstandings and so on. And you could say that that's very uh, modern and contemporary. And there is obviously something in that, but it actually reminded me of, Jane Austen, would you believe? I mean, Ellen made some really good references to uh, Wuthering Heights, but the, you know, there's something of Austen, and not just Austen, but any of those female novelists, where there was something about the stifling atmosphere of the time that meant people could not speak things. You know, they couldn't say what they meant, that they were stifled. I mean, different stiflings, I understand, but they were stifled. And also there's a kind of set of manners and etiquette that you have to follow, you know, that you that means that you, you know, it's like when you're kind of going, for God's sake, tell her you love her, you know, in every uh, one of those uh, 18th, 19th century novels, you just want somebody to just sort it out and stop misunderstanding. So there was something about that that actually reminded me of that period of literature uh, rather than anything else. Um, only just a couple of other small things. Just on the, uh, the sadomasochism stuff, um, you know, I, I think it's the Irish Catholic in me that made me squeamish about it, probably. Uh, um, but I thought the main thing about it was, was that it wasn't enjoyable. I mean, the whole point about SM sex is meant to be enjoyable. I might not understand that, but I understand that that's the point of it. The point is not that you suffer through it, but that you enjoy it more. And actually, she didn't seem to be enjoying it at all. So it felt to me much more... Like, I mean, she might have got off on it, but it felt much more like a reflection on self-harm and self-loathing and those kind of more toxic, messed up sides of contemporary uh, young people's lives that I do think is, is, is novel to a certain extent. And actually, I did think it was very convincing. Connell's depression was very convincing and I've seen it in people and it's over nothing and yet it doesn't make it less profound or... In, you know, you know, de destroying a people's lives. So I thought that was that that was very in, uh, interesting, and um, I just thought on. I, I loved what Ella said actually about uh, Connell being so masculine because all the time I kept thinking this is a wonderful portrayal of masculinity as not toxic in a great way, but also by the way because a lot of masculinity tropes of the past, even though I hate the masculinity is toxic trope. It's also true that a lot of the kind of macho masculine images of people are they're bastards, right? So this was a masculine guy, uh, which drives me mad as well. You know, it's not like I want to go back to some sexist stereotype of the real man comes in and swings his wife around the place, right? This was a totally male, masculine, sexually masculine man, no ambivalence on that one, who actually is not vile to women. And so in that sense, it does a great service uh, to contemporary politics to have done that. And I also thought it captured really well that 
going to university i mean first of all it's like there's an endless thing about if ordinary people go to university and the two lives and you've split lives and all that i mean it really did capture what it's like being a working class person going to university and not knowing who you are and all that that was done really well but i thought actually better than any number of, of theses you actually ended up knowing what it felt like to be poor at university as well you know the having to work stuff they they did that rather lightly but i thought it was very impressive and you that is something that that i thought was just you know very of the moment and um, i just want to say phil your comments on shame were so bloody brilliant you've got to write that up i mean that was just like spot on captured it and when i look at all the comments that have been made in conclusion from the people you know you wouldn't be able to say so much about this novel if it was nothing. I mean, there's been so many profound insights, but you just think, God, you know, this is why it's a novel of great significance. I don't think it was a lockdown series novel or anything. I think it, 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 uh, it's just because it's somehow like a, a great work of literature makes you just rethink things in a weird way. And, and pr produces some of these, uh, one of the best book clubs I've been at, actually. Uh, yeah, thank you, everybody. I, I've really enjoyed it. Um, I agree entirely with what Claire just said about this particular club. Um, but I always enjoy these meetings because they make me think about the book in a completely different way, where I've never thought about it. And I think I may be too superficial to think so, so cleverly. Um, I really enjoyed the book, but I'm going to go down on the side of the people who are rather negative about it. And I enjoyed it. Um, and I think I enjoyed it in the end because it's ultimately extremely commercial. Um, I'm going to uh, try to justify that. I mean, it, it, it sort of deals with a few things which obviously everybody has experienced in their lives, which is, um, which is most literature does that. Um, I think there are a lot of tropes or, or, um, or stereotypes hidden away in there and quite cleverly hidden away. But um, you know, the, the woman as the doormat and the, and, and the sort of uh, incoherent yet brilliant working class boy, um, the fact that the poor are the ones who know how to do things and the rich are getting all mixed up. And, and you know, uh, even the, I, I agree with, uh, with Claire just now on the S&M stuff. Um, I'm pretty convinced from reading the book that she wasn't enjoying that, that there was something else like darker going on there which um, you know, she was putting herself through but um, that was Fifty Shades of Grey I think somebody in the um, in the in the chat line said uh, made that point you know it, it's extremely commercial and I when I read the book I came to the end of it and I thought um, that's a bit odd <laughs> You know, these two have just admitted to one another that they've finally communicated with one another and they're in love with one another. And he wants to bugger off. And she says, well, all right, off you go. And I thought that's a very strange thing for them to do at this stage in their... <coughs> and then I watched, the, um, I watched the television series, which I didn't enjoy as much as the book. And I think, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I don't have an Irish Catholic background, but I think I'm a bit prudish. And I just felt there was far more sex on the screen than there was on the page. Um, but uh, at the end of that, um, when, when the end of the book was quite uh, accurately depicted in the television series, I thought, that's it. It's the sequel. They're playing for the sequel. I'm going to bet you all that um, there's going to be another version where these same characters come back together and then they have another series of misunderstandings with one another. And um, so I think Sally Rooney is a very clever writer. I, I didn't like the punctuation either, by the way. My heart sank rather when I saw that. But um, 
it's it's a very enjoyable book, but I feel ultimately, um, I mean, as I say, maybe it's my superficiality, but I didn't see all, uh, I didn't see quite as much in it as um, as some of the contributors this evening have. Uh, Cheryl, who again, struggling to unmute. Okay, so I just want to say sorry, because I got here late and I, I missed the first half of Ella's um, introduction. So I don't know whether I actually agree or disagree with her, but... Um, the, I did, when I read the book, um, I really wasn't that taken with it. I didn't really like it. Um, but I think it's because when I went into it, the only thing I really knew about it was that there was, somebody said to me, everything changes after the suicide. And so I read the book filled with this anxiety that Josephine was um, mentioning, thinking which one of them is going to commit suicide. One of them's going to commit suicide. I didn't know. And so first of all, I think it, I thought it was her. And then I switched and thought, oh, it's going to be him. And then, you know, who, who is it? And it turns out it wasn't either of them. <laughs> so, um, so when I came to watch the series, I actually enjoyed it a lot more because I was more relaxed about everything. But, um, but the, the suicide actually, and I'm surprised nobody else has mentioned this about his kind of therapy session after the suicide and the, and the impact of, um, of the suicide on Connell because um, that seems to be, it does seem to me to be a real kind of turning point for him and, and all the stuff. But Claire was a little bit dismissive then about the, the um, you know, the shift from, from home to university if you're a working class person and, and all the kind of changes that you're facing. And I just thought that was really key to understanding him coming to terms with himself because, um, you know, he comes from a working class background, but he's socially mobile. And so when his friend who he's left behind kills himself, he has all this guilt that's associated with it. Um, and he just feels he's leaving his mates behind. And there's a, in that therapy session, you can sense, uh, I mean, he very clearly articulates a kind of fracturing of his identity to, from his past and his future. Um, and that he has no sense of belonging, but he doesn't, he doesn't belong in either of those worlds. Um, and at the funeral, he realizes that the, his girl, his current girlfriend, isn't who he needs to be with. He needs to, because she doesn't understand who his authentic self is as it comes from that past. And only Mariana really understands that. So, so he kind of leans more towards her and comes and gives her this huge hug at the funeral and everything. Um, and so it's kind of this sense of, and talking with his friends is like looking at his friends' lives that they have a kind of empty future, but he can't just abandon them because he's got this, this intense loyalty and this shared experience of, of growing up together and everything. So there's this really intense loyalty bond with them, but um, a sense of like not being able to help them in any way, in particularly the one that kills himself. And he, he feels so guilty that he didn't even try to help them, that he was just moving on with his life. Um, so that was the, the kind of thing that I thought was really well done about it and the way that it kind of explained that kind of social mobility and the problems or the kind of the, the need for belonging as you become socially mobile. But um, the other point I wanted to make is about Connell's mother, who, um, who I really liked as well. But the, the thing that made me like her was her sympathy towards Mariana and um, when Connell uh, treated her badly. So uh, and there was a kind of recognition because she'd been treated badly and dumped by a guy and kind of left pregnant or whatever when she was younger, this kind of recognition of a, the female experience, I suppose that's what their connection was. But that she put that, you know, that kind of female bond um, um, kind of 
show through even though her loyalty might be to her son. And then the final point is just about the um, the point that Keith just made about the sex on the screen, because I really thought that the, the TV series was brilliant and really, really well done. And um, the sex was really intimate and it allowed the vulnerabilities that other people have said, you know, you kind of, um, of, not, of love and sex and the, the kind of intimacy that was, was allowed there. And um, having two teenage sons myself, um, I, would, I really want them to watch it. I think maybe they're not quite old enough yet, but I really want them to watch it and get that idea of sex rather than the kind of really ubiquitous pornographic idea of sex, which it seems to be all the teenage boys are, are watching. So, um, so that's going to be my, my kind of parenting thing. But anyway, so those are the three points I wanted to make. Thank you. Okay, so the last hand I've got is Max. Yeah, firstly, thanks to Ella and everyone. Uh, just an absolutely fascinating discussion. Um, and I've only got a couple of quick points. I'll echo what Keith said, uh, nowhere near as insightful as what everyone else has been saying. Um, my, I suppose my first tiny point is, Ellie, you spoke about Connell being a stronger kind of character. And I think in the TV series, uh, it's the same. I feel like uh, Paul Mescal, I think his name is, as an actor sort of put um, whatever her name is, Daisy Lowe or, or something like that to shame. And I think the scene where uh, post his friend suicide, that scene, um, of him in the in the therapist's office was just uh, yeah sent shivers up my spine. I, I suppose a, a couple of really brief points about intimacy. I think like a lot of people have spoken about um, the performative aspect of it um, in the book, and I suppose to push back against that a bit, I, I, I felt like that's what resonated so much with me um, in the book is is that there was a performative aspect within these moments of intimacy because. If, you know, during those moments of intimacy, there's always going to be a performative element to it. If we all went around just doing exactly what we wanted to do and not performing for the other, then I can't imagine you'd have a particularly uh, fruitful, intimate life. Um, so I thought that was something that really resonated with me. And and actually, in the book, and I think the, the TV series, whilst I liked it, kind of um, lacked somewhat, is that sense of... Um, the intimate scenes in the book were very much just a continuation of, of dialogue in a way. And I think, you know, I don't think this is why she did it, you know, not having quotation marks, but one of the effects that it had is that it was, it was sometimes very hard to distinguish on the page, which bits were sort of verbal communications, which bits were physical communications and which bits were intimate communications. And for me, in light of kind of everything that's going on in the current political climate, I found that incredibly refreshing that, the, the book, um, not so much the TV series, but the book sort of treated um, sex and, and intimacy as just a continuation of, of dialogue. Um, and that's something that I think is, is often lacking where, where sex and intimacy uh, are treated as if they're this kind of other, other thing. Um, and, and I mean, that's one of the reasons why I thought it was a brilliant book. I wasn't so sold on the, on the TV um, series and maybe part of the reason why people think there was more sex in that was possibly because you lost that kind of frictionless transition between um dialogue and intimacy but um yeah i, I just think it's a brilliant book thanks Matt. the only thing i just want to say before it comes back firstly sally rooney was born in 1991 so was she 29 so it's amazing to me but i don't know if that says something about her that she's almost writing about not quite well almost appears so that's quite something. The one thing I thought was slightly hard done, but I thought 
Marianne's family and that whole thing, which I get Simon's point at the beginning about cycle of abuse. But I remember when I was young, I lived next to a family where the same sort of stuff was going on. And you could really, it, I thought she did it quite well. I mean, it was, it was a bit odd, but I, I just thought you got that sense there's something wrong, but you're not quite sure what it is. And then as it develops, you realise there's some darkness in the heart of the family and whatever. I, I, I didn't think that was as bad as some people mentioned. And then the other point, which Claire sort of touched on, I think the success of the book in this instance, okay, it's lockdown and all the rest of it, but it is just that it's very good. I remember 2018, my version of the book says, long listed for the Man Booker Prize. And I remember when it wasn't shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize, I just thought that that's ridiculous. And when I saw the books that were shortlisted, which seemed totally banal, and you just think, okay, it just struck me as being ridiculous. And I have to say, I've taken no notice of the Man Booker Prize ever since, which wasn't conscious. It was just that you just thought, this book's of such quality. The fact that it's not even shortlisted for that. It then went on and won the Costa Prize, which I think was because I couldn't believe it hadn't been shortlisted for the Booker Prize. But uh, I mean, it's just, uh, there may be other factors as well, but at essence, it's the depth and quality of the book uh, uh, that, 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 that stand out. Ella. Yeah, I, I mean, I, in part, I think it's because it's not, you know, unless, I think, unless you sort of have, not to blow smoke up our own ass, but unless you have the kind of political understanding that lots of us in this call have of what's going on with the problems of the contemporary moment, the book doesn't, you know, the book is a great love story, but it doesn't have that depth, you know, the, for, for something like the, Man Booker Prize, it has to tick the boxes these days of being, you know, original in terms of, you know, it's got a trans character or it's, you know, it does these kind of things or it's wacky or something. But this is, you know, this is, I think part of the reason why I loved it so much is that uh, someone made the point, I think maybe it was Phil, that actually I don't think Rooney even knows the magnitude of the things that she's stirring up because i think that she's got a kind of politics that would be wildly different from mine um certainly in relation to women and feminism she's i mean she's been open about what she thinks about those kinds of things but sort of unwittingly she's she's challenging so much of the stereotypes of young people and so much of the kind of crass nature of the debate about about mental health or uh, or about anxiety among young people. I mean, the fact that the depression that Connell feels is portrayed so uh, realistically and it and it kills you as much as it's killing him is is, you know, it, it's a it's a feat to do that because I had to really fight myself. And, I, and perhaps it was, you know, prejudice on my part, fight myself to not get uh, my knee-jerk reaction was to get annoyed and say, oh, young people depressed, oh, you know, because you're sort of snowed under by all that kind of, that narrative in current, in, in contemporary politics. But actually she was, she was kind of taking a step back and saying, what's really going on here? And funny enough, I think she probably would have been, maybe she would have been quite, felt quite abhorred by some of the stuff that we'd said to him, think that we weren't reading her right, because I think she's unwittingly sort of stirred up those, uh, or challenge those political trends, which is why it's so powerful, um, you know, with the masculine stuff that Claire raised and things like that. But I mean, the, uh, and just to, before I make my final point, on the Gaza stuff and the politics, um, again, this is, this is I, I genuinely don't know what Rooney's trying to do there because one, it feels clumsy and superficial, 
But if she's trying to make a point about uh, university students today having been kind of politics light, then it's fantastic. And if she's also trying to make a point, as, uh, as Dennis said, about kind of the Irish middle classes being so tied up in this kind of awful identity politics and, you know, virtue signaling stuff, then it's spot on. But I don't, but she, <laughs> I don't think that she is quite that self-aware. So that's just a very interesting tension because she, you know, she herself is um, made the success of her career by being lauded by the Irish Times set. So that's the tension. But the thing I just wanted to finish on is this, you know, the, for me, above all else, the fascinating thing about it is the, um, the portrayal of that first love of intimacy of that kind of not forbidden love, but doomed um, sort of really actually pretend performative love. Even th but by that, I mean, it's felt obviously very deeply and keenly and truly, but there's a sense that running throughout it, that this deep love that they have for each other is really, as many people have pointed out, more about them finding themselves. And when you think about rather than, you know, the love that you have later on um, with someone that you might end up spending the rest of your life with, which is deeper in a way than that kind of intense, obsessional love of, or, or that's in this book, um, because it's real and it has flaws and, and you don't always feel absolutely enamored by the person all the time. I'm conscious that my husband sat behind me, but the, but you know, you, the, the kind of unrealness of that first interaction simply because it's, it's your awake, it's happening at the same time of your awakening into adult life. It, you know, it's not a coincidence that this is the first time Marianne's ever been kissed when they first kiss, you know, the intensity of, of all of that is there um and just that final it's about three pages from the end where um in fact to redeem her mariam in my eyes mariam makes this um point where there's that you know wonderful scene of uh which you're, you've waited for the whole book uh, where he kisses her on new year's eve in the pub in Karakali in front of everyone and it's she's you know transported back to being 15 again and what would have happened at that Debs that she never got to go to. Um, and she says, and he tells her that um, he loves her. And she says, she was in his power. He had chosen to redeem her. She was redeemed. But, but actually, this is the more important point. Uh, it was so unlike him to behave that way in public that he must have been doing it on purpose to please her. How strange to feel herself so completely under the control of another person, but also how ordinary no one can be independent of other people completely. So why not give up the attempt? She thought, go running in the other direction and depend on people for everything. Allow them to depend on you. Why not? She knows he loves her and she doesn't wonder about that anymore. And it's that, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's like that. Thank God. But it's because the point that someone made earlier that they have become or are on the way to becoming whole individuals on themselves and the performativity has dropped away. And actually that the vulnerability and the you know the persistence of or the you know the prevalence of shame the possibility of shame that phil talked about is there and that's the difference when you become an adult and have an adult relationship is that you accept that there is going to be that you have to be uh vulnerable and that there's going to be highs and lows so in terms of a kind of a book that looks at a a uni i think actually a universal experience of growing up um it really 
it it does what books classic books in the past have have done um, just as well but in a modern setting but i think particularly for the the way the reason why i think it is you know almost revolutionary in terms of its its portrayal of love and intimacy is that you know appraisal of what it means actually to be an adult in love um and what it to be non-performative or to put away those kind of childish things and to open yourself up which is the thing that you really hope young people are doing today despite all the kind of panic around the discussion about love and sex um i think she deserves all the plaudits she should get so thanks before you go I'd like to ask you to think about making a donation to the Academy of Ideas. We've not been furloughed and we haven't stopped. In fact, with salons and forums and public meetings online, we're busier than ever and delighted to be. But the current lockdown has almost completely stopped our income. So if you're a fan of what we do, we're counting on your support. Click the link below this podcast to donate what you can. And stay tuned for more debate and discussion from the Academy of Ideas wherever you get your podcasts.